You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Welcome to service today. This obviously was not planned. Uh, Marcus did pray and thank the Lord for all the preparation that was uh, put into this morning, but that preparation was last night and this morning. Um, It's not often, in fact, a lot of you would know if you've been here a long time, that we ever see Adam feel bad enough to not show up on a Sunday. Um, So Adam's not feeling well. He let us know yesterday um, that he wasn't going to be able to make it today. And it just so happened by God's good mercy and grace that normally I would be like, that is not me, tag, you guys are it. But um, I had just finished or was in the process of writing um, a essay for my seminary class yesterday that was due last night at 11 p.m. So all of these things were happening. And I told Marcus, I was like, you know, honestly, if I'm not able to take what I've been meditating on in three weeks and swap it around to be able to present it to you in a way that would encourage us through God's word, then what am I even doing this for? So I am going to pray that God would help me this morning. Um, For those of you that might be visiting, my name's Tyson. Um, I'm one of the elders here, but I also am a member of the worship team. And I don't do this very often. The last time I taught was in June. And so if you're listening on the podcast, uh, June 4th was the last time that I taught. And I taught on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And I make reference to that because today is kind of like a part two to that. Uh, God in his mercy and his goodness just worked it out to where my essay's topic, which is union with Christ, specifically mentioning Colossians chapter 3, would follow kind of in line with the sermon that I delivered eight months ago. Now, because it's been eight months, I figured we might as well go through a review. Um, if, if my students at school forget what I taught like the previous day, I'm pretty confident that most of us have forgotten what I taught in June. So I'm going to go back through it. Our, our text is going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Um, again, I don't know how long this is going to take. It could be over in 15 minutes, or it could be over uh, much longer than that. We'll just see. Uh, just um, In fact, let's let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I'm thankful for your timing. Um, Even though my soul and my heart questions that timing, Lord, we know that it's perfect. We know that all of these things, um, down to um, the text for today, the essay this weekend, Elliot's baptism today, uh, Lord, everything has been perfectly timed and orchestrated to lead us to this moment, to think about what it means to be united with Christ and in Christ. God, I pray that you would use all of the, the, the scattered thoughts that have been in my head for a couple of weeks and bring them around to something that is um, able to be taken and used in encouragement in our life, but also an inspiration for us to be more changed and more like Christ in our daily walk with him. Because as we will see, as we've received Christ, so now we are to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So God, would you just use today, however it is that you see fit, and would you be glorified in Jesus' name? Amen. Um, So as a matter of uh, review, let me go back. Uh, Last time in June, we taught through Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. My summary sentence that day was this. Since Christ reigns supreme over all creation, let us worship him by surrendering our hearts to orbit around the center of his authority and allow his supremacy to extend into every aspect of our lives. Now, there's a lot of big words there, especially when put together, it sounds confusing. But the whole idea is since Christ is supreme, then let's worship him. 
How do we do that? By surrendering our hearts to make sure that they're orbiting around his rule and reign and not the rule and the reign of anything else. And then allow that supremacy or his rule to extend into every aspect of our lives. That was last time. Um, For the kids, Jesus is the king, so let's trust and follow him. Maybe I should have started with that one. Jesus is the king, so let's just trust and follow him. I introduced you that day to the Nicene Creed. Many of you may have known about the Nicene Creed. It was written in 325 AD, and for thousands of years, this has kind of been a central focus about what believers believe about the Trinity. And on that day, I referenced a couple of points. We referenced what the Nicene Creed says about God the Father. It says, quote, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being in one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. On that day, we looked at uh, Christ's supremacy over all creation. We looked at how Jesus was God. Verse 15 told us that in chapter 1. Jesus is creator. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. And he also is the sustainer that we saw in verse 17. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I introduced you that day to a quote by a theologian named Abraham Kuyper. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Then, continuing the Nicene Creed, we looked at what Christ did, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. We looked at, we wanted to acknowledge Christ's supremacy in our salvation, that Jesus is our shepherd. He's our resurrection. He's our reconciliation. Again, all of these things were taught back in June, so if we want to slow down, you can go back and listen to that. Why was that important? Because meditating on the supremacy of Christ over his creation protects us from false teaching, and it guards our hearts from idolatry. We mentioned this that day because the the, the context of Colossians was the false teachers that were always trying to sway these new believers into teaching them that in order for them to be connected or unified with Christ, they had to have some type of mystical experience, or they had to be obedient to certain man-made laws. And Paul makes it very clear that Christ is supreme over all. And he also was supreme over our salvation. Meditating on the supremacy of Christ for our salvation leads us to greater humility and equips us to walk in a manner that is worthy. We reference this very quickly at the very end, but I love that Alex read that passage. I didn't know that was going to be read today. In Philippians chapter 2, I think near the end of what he said, Christ has been exalted. He's been given the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Nicene Creed, it says, and this Jesus ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. 
whose kingdom shall have no end. So there is no question, right, that Jesus is supreme, that he rules over all creation, and that he is the source of our salvation, and that because of his victorious resurrection, he's alive in heaven right now, ruling and reigning until he comes again. So how does that have anything to do with where we're going today? Well, this idea of Christ being in heaven, victorious, albeit, but in heaven, can sometimes for some of us feel far away. I mean, he did promise he would return, and that was at least 2,000 years ago that he promised. So not only does it feel far away in time, but it also feels far away in space. Not in outer space, per se, but in location. Where and when is Christ? Is he near me? Is this... Is this relationship that I enjoy with Jesus something that I can really hold true to today? Or is it something that I'll just have with Christ one day and it's more symbolic now? No, Colossians 3 makes very clear. Believers are unified with Christ. We are in union with Christ. Summary sentence for today. Since Christ is the source of our salvation, the believer has been given a new identity a new mentality, assurance, and future. These are the four things that I could kind of quickly pull together since last night. So we're going to run with that. We're going to see it clearly from the text, so I'm not making it up. Christ is the source of our salvation, and because of that, the believer, through union with him, has a new identity, a mentality, assurance, and a future. So even as I'm teaching, I know McLeod's going to connect this to baptism later as we're going to witness that Think about these truths. For those who are in Christ, whether you've been in Christ for years or you have just placed your faith in Christ for the first time, now that you are unified with Christ and you are in union with Jesus, you have these things. However, these benefits of salvation, although they're amazing, I put in my notes here because I didn't have room on the slide. I said I wanted to make sure that we understand that believers do not simply receive benefits of salvation, believers receive Christ. We receive Christ himself, who is the source of all of these benefits. There is no heaven without Christ. I don't want to be in a heaven without Jesus. That's the source of this union. For kids, Jesus is alive, and believers are united to him. So again, like last time, I did tell you, Colossians 1, I was directing it to the believers in the room And I was encouraging those that might be outside of Christ to hear about Jesus' supremacy and to turn and trust him while there was still time. Today, in a similar way, I'll say that this passage is for believers. Paul is writing to the believers in Colossians. So may the believers in this room be encouraged. But if you find yourself outside of Christ, as you're listening, you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction, and I am not in Christ, then you can be. Let that be stated from the very beginning. You can repent by turning and trusting in Jesus. And through faith, you reach hold of Christ, who is your righteousness. He doesn't give us righteousness. He is our righteousness. And the only way you'll have it is by faith, through the Spirit, reaching out and taking hold of Christ. Let me read uh, the passage for you. Um, I think I put it, yes, right here. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth, for you have died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The very first thing that I would want to point out here, according to our summary sentence, we see in verse 1a, if then you have been raised with Christ, believers have a new identity. This if you have been raised with Christ sounds very, if it's true or not, but the real word there is since. So since you've been raised with Christ, everything that's been said in chapter one and everything that's been said in chapter two, which I just skipped, and that needed to be part two, but all the false teaching that's going on and the ways that Paul was wanting their ideas and their mentality to swap and change, all of that's true. Since you've been raised with Christ, then. So everything else that Paul will say in verse two and on is rooted in this foundation, this foundational identity about being raised with Christ. We're with Christ. Even though Christ is not here, we are with Christ. In fact, there are some 80 plus references in Scripture in the New Testament to being in Christ. There's dozens more that say with Christ or in him or with him. So one way, one aspect of this message today that we don't have the time to do is to go into all of those things and to research those things. So that would be one point of application for you today. Let me figure out what it might mean for me to be in union with Christ by doing a Bible study of every passage that talks about being in Christ, in him, with him, or with Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. Colossians chapter 2, if you're following along in your Bible, if you backed up, it mentions, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 10, it talks about you have been filled in him. Verse 11, Paul said, in him you were set apart. Verse 12, you're buried with him. Verse 13, God made alive together with him. Even in just one previous chapter, Paul is making it very clear that believers are in Christ. I can't remember where I read this. There's been a lot that I've read in the last couple of weeks. But one theologian or commentary or something mentioned that for Paul, it might have been Sinclair Ferguson, he may have mentioned something along the lines that if Paul had been asked during this time, who are you? He may have very well not responded, I'm a Christian. Because of the the very few times we see Christian used in the New Testament, it's usually a derogatory word as people spoke it against the Christians. But his suggestion, perhaps, is that Paul very well may have answered, I am a man in Christ. Just because of the amount of times that he uses it in his own writings, he understood himself as someone in Christ. This identity we can see in Galatians 2, 19 through 20. Paul also writes, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, that's Galatians 2, 20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul understands there is some union with Jesus to where Christ's death on the cross was his death to sin. And Christ's resurrection is his resurrection. This union with Jesus allows him to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6, 5 says, 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, Paul in Romans, we've been united with Jesus. I don't want to keep pounding that, but I do want it to be something that maybe opens up your mind like it's opened mine up in the last few weeks as I've been studying. I've read all these passages all of my life, but to see the over and over and over mention of being in Christ, with Christ, this is a special union. Number two, well, actually a quote from John Murray. John Murray says, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. When I read that, I said, wow, it really seems like it is because of how much it's used. Number two, believers have a new mentality. This is where some application is involved. We're not going to dive heavily into this. I'll let the Holy Spirit direct your own heart and how you should apply these truths today. But the application portion or the command to obey portion is found in this section. He says in verse 1b to 2, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So for Paul, if this union is something that's so true, and we are united with Christ in reality right now, and our life is with Christ right now, then doesn't it make sense that we set our hearts and set our minds with him and not on things on earth? We are to seek the things. Matthew 6, talks about this seeking. You may have heard this many times before. Jesus is talking and he says, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For Gentiles seek after all those things. Your heavenly father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This idea of, hey, there's a lot going on in life, but seek first the things that are above. We see where Christ mentions this and where maybe Paul gets this very idea of seeking. The seeking is a continual thing. It's not just a one-time direct focused attention to Jesus. It's a constant setting our minds on things that are above. I don't know if I wrote it down, but it's coming to mind now. There's a passage in Philippians that talks about us being citizens of heaven. We need to consider ourselves that. That is our future destiny. So let us set our minds on things above. Philippians 4.8, speaking of setting our minds, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure and lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Romans 12.1.2 also talks about our mindset. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Hopefully you see this theme. The last one I'll mention is Romans six eleven. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, therefore, don't let sin reign in your bodies Don't present your members of sin as instruments of unrighteousness. All of that practical stuff follows this idea that you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. But look at the verse. Why? Why seek the things that are above? Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of earth. Because they're in the middle. It says that's where Christ is. And he's seated 
at the right hand of God, which means that our Savior that we worship this morning is very much alive. We've, we've made that clear. He's risen from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And as the Nicene Creed says, he's coming back again. And we don't need a creed to tell us that because we've got scriptures that make that very clear as well. So why should we set our minds on things? Because Christ is there. So even just with a couple of things, as I think, if I was teaching this to my middle schoolers, I would have told them, seek, set. Why? Because he's seated. Just three little S's there. Seek things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. Why? Because Christ is seated there above. Here's a, oh, sorry, I need to go back. The believer has died right here. Assurance. The union with Christ. Believers have a new assurance. Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Assurance. What in the world does it mean that believers have died? Died to what? Right now, I am presently speaking in this room at this time. And yet scripture says that I've died in Christ or with Christ. To what? Well, as we look through some scriptures, we'll make it clear that believers have died to sin. They've died to the law. They've died to condemnation and punishment. Through our union with Jesus, his obedience is our obedience. His death was our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This idea of being baptized into Christ's death, we're going to see a picture of that later. It's a symbolic picture of what happens for a believer through faith when they're united to Christ. They're baptized into his death. His death, his, all the, the penalty against sin that he paid for, is it belongs to me. And I don't deserve it and didn't do anything to earn it. Romans 6, 6-7 through seven says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no, be, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul again here is saying, hey, you're dead to sin. Christ was crucified. That was your crucifixion. His death and payment for sin, consider it yours. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to wake up every day and be able to do that very easily. We're still going to be presented with sin and temptation and still even be bent towards that because of our human nature that's still corrupted because of sin. But we are in this process in union with Christ through the Spirit. We're being, we're being transformed where we are to set our minds on His truth, which is that His death is mine. Galatians 6, 1, or 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Man, Paul, what is it that you consider yourself crucified in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them. We can be counted as free from the law and the penalty and the punishment that we deserve because Christ is our righteousness, the payment, and we're unified in him. Next, believers are hidden with Christ and God. Man, this is so encouraging. This brings me so much assurance. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what we're born to hope in. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. My life is with Christ. It's hidden with Christ and God. And that, once I started meditating on that in the last couple of weeks, and it might take you a couple of weeks too, because it's not something that just hits you right away. But when you start thinking about our lives are hidden with Christ and they're safely with him, man, it brings so much assurance that I'm probably not going to screw things up enough today to mean that I do something bad about, um, or my salvation is at stake. I'm so thankful that whatever God has done perfectly in Jesus is so securely hidden in him that my mistakes and my own sin doesn't over, overwork that, doesn't overthrow that. It's waiting to be revealed in the last time. John 10, 28, Jesus tells him, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. This is encouraging. I was talking with Jesse weeks ago just about the assurance that we have by being in union with Jesus. Romans 8, 31 through 39. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, as we see here, who is indeed interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't miss the through him. We are more than conquerors through him. I think sometimes when I've read this verse, I'm like, we are more than conquerors. It's we are more than conquerors through him because Christ is the one who conquered. Therefore, I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers or things present or things to come nor powers, a height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that is, that is a truth worth meditating on. We are hidden in Christ. We are safely there, and our salvation is reserved and awaiting 
that day when it will be made full. John Murray, again. There is no truth, therefore, more suited to impart confidence and strength, comfort and joy in the Lord than this one of union with Christ. That's a bold statement. There is no truth more suited to impart confidence and strength, comfort and joy. But I'll tell you, in the last couple of weeks, I've felt that. As someone that, you know, often has a lot of doubts and and overthinks everything, overanalyzes and stresses a lot. This is why God gave me this task last night. I often forget about the assurance that a believer can have that's available to him. Me and Miss Carolyn have been texting back and forth for the last couple of weeks about this. She's my buddy and reading what we call the, what's called the Westminster Confession. And that's what my essay was kind of unpacking. And these things are, are stated true. And so Miss Carol and I are talking about the assurance that is found in union with Christ. Lastly, believers have a new future. I think you could pick up on the fact of where this is going based off of this, but Paul makes it clear to himself, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, we know that this means that Christ will appear. One day he will accomplish what he promised that he would accomplish. But this word is when Christ, who is your life, is revealed. When he's revealed from heaven, you also will be revealed with him in glory Based on what? What merit of mine makes me deserving in any way to be a part of Christ revealing when he comes back? Absolutely nothing except for the union that I share with Jesus in the relationship that we share through faith in the Spirit. Um, A couple of passages. Christ will be revealed. Titus 2 says, Grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. It's appeared once. It's trained us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We are now waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's appeared once to train us to live differently as we are prepared and transformed for the ultimate appearing the second time. This Christ gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He's doing this not just for us, but to unite us to him because of his great love for us, to purify for himself a people. 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. He's about to give them encouragement about the second coming. But listen to how he does it. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his 
saints. Christ's return means really bad news for some. And yet it is the ultimate fulfillment and the best news of all time for others. So what is the separation? How do we know God and how do we make sure that we've obeyed the gospel? The clear answer is to repent, to turn from our sin and to trust Jesus. There, there are many of you that did that years ago and I'm looking across the room at some of you that have done that in this last year. What an amazing truth that by giving up and surrendering, that's what being obedient to the gospel is all about. It's not about making sure that we were obedient to check lists and do good works. There's no good work that could ever save us. But through Christ's perfect works, he earned it. We're in union with him. Therefore, we are counted as righteous too. Not because of us, but because of him. So if you're feeling, have I been obedient to the gospel? Let me just ask you a question. Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trusting in your own good works? Do you hope to stand before this glorious Savior one day and have a list of excuses about why he should let you be a part of his new kingdom? Or are you someone like me who's learned to say, man, I got nothing. I have nothing apart from what you've offered me. And you've promised that to me. And I'm holding fast to that because of union. Revelation 19, just one more picture. We're wrapping up. We're almost done here. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. He has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Christ will be revealed in this glorious way one day. Believers will be revealed with him though. That's the mind boggling thing. First Thessalonians Four, Paul says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. Isn't it amazing, by the way, I'm just thinking right now that Paul says to consider yourself dead in areas concerning the law and sin. But when he's talking about actual death, he just references it as sleep because that death has been destroyed in Christ's death. (laughs) I think there's a Puritan, I'm forgetting who it was. It might've been John Owen who said, who wrote a sermon called the death of death in the death of Christ. Death is broken. He says, you're asleep. So we declare this to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. First John 3, 2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. First John 3, 2, they said it again. We're God's children and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now that doesn't mean in any way, my paper goes into this, that we're going to share in some divine essence. The Bible does talk about us being partakers of the divine nature, but that doesn't mean that we're going to become gods or that we as humans get absorbed into the essence of who God is. This just again points to union that we have access to the divine nature because we have access to Jesus who is divine. It's a union that's, that's mysterious. It's a union that's spiritual. It's a union that is final. Um, I'll read just a quick portion of this quote. Uh, I can send this to you if you want it. In my research for my essay, there was a section by Jonathan Edwards that I found where he was delivering a sermon at David Brainerd's funeral. David Brainerd was a great missionary. And David Brainerd, if I'm not mistaken, died in his house. And his youngest daughter, taking care of him, David Brainerd, contracted the same disease and died a few months later. And Jonathan Edwards took David Brainerd's diary and journal, and he's the reason why it's published. And it became like a guide for missions for generations. David Brainerd never even really got to see the impact or the fruit of that. And Jonathan Edwards spoke at his funeral, if I'm not mistaken, that this is where this is from. Um, I'm going to read just a section here. It says, When they come to see him as he is in death, talking in union with him, in heaven, then they become like him in another manner. That perfect right will abolish all remains of deformity, disagreement, and sinful unlikeness, as all darkness is abolished before the full blaze of the sun's meridian light. It is impossible that the least degree of obscurity should remain before such light. So Edwards is saying, when we are in presence with Christ, our salvation and union is fully, finally realized in its fullest measure. Just like light expels and gets rid of all darkness, so everything will be finally removed and finished in the presence of Jesus. But while the saints are in the body, there is much remaining distance between Christ and them. They are remainders of alienation. The vital union is very imperfect. And so consequently are the communication of spiritual life and vital influences. There is much between Christ and believers to keep them asunder. Much indwelling sin, much temptation, and heavy molded frail body in a world of carnal objects to keep off the soul from Christ and to hinder our perfect coalescence. But when the soul leaves the body and all these clogs and hindrances shall be removed, every separating wall shall be broken down and every impediment taken out of the way and all distance shall cease. The heart shall be wholly and perfectly drawn and most firmly and forever attached and bound to him by a perfect view of his glory. The vital union shall then be brought to perfection. The soul shall live perfectly in and upon Christ, being perfectly filled with his spirit, animated by his vital influences, living as it were only by Christ's life without any remainder of spiritual death or carnal life. I want that guy to speak at my funeral. To be filled with his spirit, 
in such a way to where it's fully, finally finished. For the sake of time, I won't go into these in depth, but my essay kind of followed these main ideas, that union with Christ is spiritual. What I mean by that is it's not something opposite of physical. It's spiritual, meaning it's in the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, believers are united with Christ. Two, it's a mystery. It's not fully understood how Jesus could allow us to become partakers of a divine nature with him through this union. It just doesn't make full sense yet. But Paul in Colossians 1, I think, says that the mystery has been revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is revealed that Christ is in us. Union with Christ is real. This real union is something that is absolute. It is something that um, is held together much deeper than our human unions. Uh, Martin Luther, I think in his work here in Galatians, says we cannot conceive spiritually how closely Christ is united to us. I read where he also said, we are members of Christ's body and this faith couples Christ and me more closely than a husband and wife. We can't conceive how close this is, but it's absolutely closer than what it means to be one flesh with a husband or wife. And yet we already know in marriage, that union, what is one, rightly belongs to the other. I've told my students a very simple analogy, which is not perfect by any means, but if I were to pass and I had a paycheck sitting at Trinity waiting to be cashed, Mr. Vincent has no access to that. Students have no access to that. No one has access to that. And yet through the union of marriage, my wife, who did not work those hours and did not earn that particular paycheck, has complete right to that check to be applied to her account because she's in union with me. Does that make sense? And yet this is so much more than that, Martin Luther says. And then lastly, it's inseparable. What Christ has done, as we've seen, is fully hidden. With Christ and God, and there's nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God. So application. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit apply this, not let. Holy Spirit's going to do what he wants. But instead of me coming up with some like good application for us, I'm just going to tell you some things to look for in Scripture, and then we'll apply these things to this text really quickly. For my students, I've told them, you can kind of, um, spell the word space on one side and spell the word um, pet. Uh, and then you have a B left over. So space pet B. Um, so, it's the little things. Sins to forsake, promises to claim, attributes of God to adore, commands to obey, examples to follow, prayers to echo, errors to avoid, truths to believe, blessings to enjoy. When I look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, there's probably a lot of this there, but with my limited time that I've had to look at Colossians 1 through 3, I've at least seen a few that are obvious. In looking at these things, I've found, um, I'll leave those up for a second, truths to believe, truths to believe. Um, What were some truths that we just learned today that we need to start believing or trusting in? One, we learned, you have died. Died to what? To sin, to law, to judgment. 
So start considering yourself dead to all those things. So that's the truth. Let's believe that. You have been raised with Christ. That's also a truth about you today that we must believe. We also learn that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We should believe that. We, we saw Christ who is your life. My life is Christ. Believe that. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. And Christ will be revealed. I wish I'd put the little verses for which one of those went with each one, but you can look back through those verses again. Just start making statements and asking yourself, is that a sin I need to forsake? No. Is that an attribute of God I need to adore? Not necessarily. Is that a truth that I need to believe? Yes. Circle it, underline it, believe it. Truths to believe. Then there were also some commands to obey. That was in verse two. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above, was another one. And do not set your minds on things on earth. Is this an attribute? No. Is this an example? Is this an error? Oh, here's a, here's a command. So what do I need to do with that? Obey it. Truths, believe it. Commands, obey them. And then lastly, connected to the assurance, there were promises. Christ will appear. That's a promise. He has never broken a promise. He's always been faithful 100% of the time. If you believe you're going to be the one person that God breaks a promise with, you'll literally be the only person in human history that's ever happened with. And as I've told my students, you're not that cool. It's just not going to be you. One, because his truth is rooted in his very person of being God who is true. And beyond Christ will appear, you will appear with him in glory. So application for the believer, last two slides. Believe these truths, claim these promises, obey these commands. I should have added in there, hold me accountable to these two. I'm in the same journey as you. I'm meditating on these truths, trying to figure out what this all means for me. Josh and I were talking about the reality of heaven even just yesterday. How, how, do, I, how do I think rightly about my union with Christ in such a way that it changes my life now because of what I'm focused on in the future? And then obey these commands. That's where I'm going to struggle the most. It's clear I should set my mind on things above, but it's really tempting to set my th- mind on things below. I've got a little LCD screen that shows me things that are below every day, and it's so alluring to my soul for some reason. I literally walk around like this a lot instead of walking around like this. You know, can we have phones and entertainment and things that are in this world? Of course. But let's put a proper focus on where we're going to spend eternity and, and remind ourselves of these truths. Seek those things that are above. Um, application for the unbeliever. I think it's obvious, but if you've been sitting here today and thinking, I don't know if I'm in union with Christ, and I don't know if I will be appearing with Christ when he comes back. Um, I heard myself more in the verse that you read in Second Thessalonians that talked about him coming back and inflicting vengeance on those who don't know him and don't obey him. And I haven't been someone that has been 
interested in knowing him, and I certainly haven't been obeying him. If that's you, these words are here not to press you into condemnation because you're already condemned. Does that make sense? Jesus tells us in John 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I've come to bring life. So you're already in that path if that's you, but you can exit that path by being united to Christ through faith. We do that by repentance and trust. It's not by works. It's not by anything that you do or own or have. Repentance is turning from self and faith is turning to Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song, a song that I believe is very applicable. It was on the sheet already before I knew I was doing this and then I didn't remove it on purpose once I knew what I was going to teach on because it walks through this image. What does it look like to have weariness in this life now? What does it look like to have separation in some ways, to not be fully with Christ? What does it mean for us to turn our eyes to him? And then the bridge of that song, as you all will know very well, talks about that one day in glory though, all of that will be made clear. All of it will be made right. All of it will be made new. As Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Goodness, I am most undeserving. Um, The fact that you could bring about clarity um, in the last few hours to bring forth this message from Colossians is a work of grace. And Lord, I pray that you would now use your word in the hearts of our people, even starting with me, remind us today what this union with Christ is all about. Help us not to forget that it's in chapter three where the foundation of this is the supremacy of Christ and his rule and reign over all the world as seen in chapter one. So God, because Jesus rules and reigns supreme and he is, as Alex read earlier, the one seated, raised high and exalted above all names, And is the one that one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Lord, help us to in this moment and in this time set our hearts and minds on things that are above. And God, thank you that when we don't do that very well, that our union with Christ is so secure, hidden with Christ, that our sins have been covered again for believers. We're so thankful that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not expressed a a surrender, which is what faith is, it's a trust and surrender. God, I pray that they would give up. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Uh, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. So that there was some other member of your body that is then united to Christ through faith and who will one day be in glory forever, experiencing the full union of being with Christ because they responded to your Spirit's call and push on their heart this morning. They responded by turning and expressing this faith. 
Lord, we do trust you. We love you. Help us to turn our eyes on you. And Lord, as we celebrate baptism and what Elliot has done, the union that she has with Christ, may it be a reminder of the picture of what we experience as believers in this room. We do love you and thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Meaningful, important questions that Tyson kicked us off with. Where is he? Is he near? Is he close? Those are questions that throughout different seasons in life, we come to the Lord asking, are you near and are you close? Do you know? Can you see? Do you care? And we've been given a very strong answer, yes. I am more than near. And to be reminded that this Savior, this one who is closer than a brother, who is so near, it can't even be described, that one day you will see face to face, that one day you will fix your eyes upon, that one day every knee, including yours, will bow And every tongue, including yours, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is our Savior. And what power for us to have today to walk away saying, I am united with him. I am in Christ. It's not just a friendship. It's not just a personal relationship. It's so much more than that, so much more powerful than that. Such confidence and strength, joy and comfort. I focused on verse 4. Christ who is your life. Christ who is my life. And then I was reminded of several places in the book of John where Christ is referred to as our life. He starts off with, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, the thief comes to still kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When Jesus shows up to Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus had passed away, and they respond, they respond, they respond with, Lazarus, our brother who is dead, we know that he will be resurrected in the end. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he backs that power up with three words, Lazarus, come out. That is Jesus, the one who is our life. And then to comfort his disciples before his life is taken, before he gives up his life, he tells them that he has to leave. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. That is our Lord. He is our life now, today. In him was life because he is our life. So we have been raised with the one who is seated to set and to seek our minds, to seek and set our attention, our aspirations, and our affections together on the one who is our life. What a great, undeserving purpose we have. What a great, undeserving confidence, joy, and comfort that we have today. So thankful for the timing, as as Tyson mentioned. Um, For whatever it is you're 
going through in your life right now, just to be reminded of this beautiful gift, but also this call for us in, in our lives and, and whatever it is that we have going on to seek and set our minds on him. I'm going to close this out. Romans chapter 5, this is verses 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this very deep reminder and truth, and more than that, a reality that we are in Christ, that He is ours, and that we are His. What a very great, powerful reminder for us this morning. We're so grateful to be able to to worship in this way and to have this truth, the, the, the Holy Spirit to take this truth and to wash it over us, to bring reminder to us, to bring encouragement to us where we need it. In those dark moments right now where we are asking those questions, are you near? Do you care? Are we lost? Do you know that we are more than near? We are in Christ, and we're thankful for that for that truth, that reminder today. So Lord, use this over these coming days, even these coming hours, as a reminder to us to be that confidence and that strength for us as we continue to walk in faith, following our King, our Lord, our Savior. Wherever it is, He knows best to take us. We trust You. We love You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.